Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, champagne sharks. This is T. It's weird. I'm used to hearing feedback in my ear. So it's like, it's so weird to just do an open air like this, but we are doing something differently. We're doing an in-person podcast where everyone's in the same room. I've not done one of these since pre-COVID. So that's pretty cool. And we have with us uh, two returning guests who have been, I think Chris has been on the show more. So I feel like teens should introduce himself first. Uh, hey, yeah, I, I, I was on a while ago when we went to go see that movie, <laughs> Burning. Uh, that was years ago, pre-COVID. Jesus Christ, that was a long time ago. Yeah, about it. yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris and I and a bunch of others do Escape from Plan A. Um, and we got a lot of like crossover uh, people like in our Patreon that came over from your, uh, from Champagne Sharks. And oh, so cool. we're, you know, we're, there's some, there's some link overlap, I'd say. Between our pod and yours. It was so weird how real life feels faker than the digital life now. Like, it just feels so, so weird not hearing uh, people's voices in my ears through a headphone. Like, just yeah. talking like normal people in person. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, yeah. No, that was a pretty good uh, episode. I thought it was going to be a little too in the weeds and whatever, but people really liked it. Yeah. And then Chris has uh, been on a lot. Yeah, I think recently I was on the Death on the Nile episode with Yasmin and um, was there someone else on it? Um, M2Me. Oh, right, right. M2Me. Sorry, M2Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, uh, yeah, I've been on episodes before. Again, like with Teen, we're from Escape from Plan A, so happy to be back. We've made a lot of people want to see that movie. Like, I know a lot of people oh, who sure. uh, listen to the pod and like, oh my God, this sounds so bad. I have to see this thing. I'm like, oh no, we're actually helping. Bad oh, art. Oh, you know, <laughs> so. you know what one we did was the Simu, the Simu Liu one, where they try to remember oh, that yeah, weird that yeah. guy from England that like tracked down the oh, yeah. origins of how they try to spread these rumors about the good him. Samaritan and, who cleared Simu Liu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was actually a pretty interesting talk to that. That went in places I was not expecting. Yeah, that, that was a that good guy one. That was interesting. Yeah, that was, that was a good one too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but a lot of people like went to see. Uh, told told me that they went to see that. Uh, what, what's it called? The Horrible movie with Kenneth Branagh. I've already knocked it on my denial. Something on denial. Death yeah, on that, denial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people like told me that they weren't going to see it, but they watched it because they wanted to see if it was really as bad as uh, we said. Oh, Team was the one that came up with the name uh, Media Masochist because he called me and Chris uh, Media, oh. <laughs> Media Masochist. Yeah. yeah. But uh, today we're talking about uh, a thread that I did on. Twitter, but I promise this is not going to be a, an extremely online topic. It just happened that the thread was on Twitter, but this is not about Twitter. It's about uh, this idea that it's something we talk about a lot in our free time, which is that I think there's going to be, I think you guys more or less agree, there's going to be a coming, I don't know if you can call it a reactionary turn, even though that's what I've been saying, but I'm not sure how political it even is. I'm not sure 
if these people are necessarily getting attracted by right wing ideas so much as they just really can't ha- can't stand uh, wokeness. I feel like a lot of people are just sick of wokeness to the point that they would almost be fine with letting um, Republicans like push these people's shit in just so uh, you know they could you know eat eat crow. You know what I mean? Like um, actually. The Bill Maher thing. Did you guys hear that Bill Maher? And finally, new rule. If someone knows of a story that more effectively captures what's wrong with today's journalism than the sad saga of what happened last week at the Washington Post, they need to keep it to themselves because it would be too depressing. (laughs) If you missed it, the Washington Post recently got embroiled in a self-inflicted shitstorm when one of their best reporters, David Weigel, retweeted, not tweeted, retweeted this joke. Every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. (laughs) Proving it is a joke. Thank you. (laughs) The comedian who actually wrote the tweet called it a banal throwaway joke, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what it is. Throw away, as in if you don't like it, throw it away. For eons, both sexes have made jokes about how the other is crazy. And no one but the perpetually offended thinks it means anything more than that the sexes get frustrated over how differently we each see the world. And yes, we relieve some of that frustration with humor. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, Weigel pulled down his retweet and wrote, I apologize and did not mean to cause any harm. And that was the end of that. I'm joking, of course. (laughs) The unlicensed daycare center that is today's newsroom went apeshit. You see, the Post has another writer named Felicia Sanmez, and she's a lot. For example, she tweeted about Kobe Bryant's 2003 rape trial hours after his helicopter crash. And despite the fact that she says Dave Weigel is a good friend, she resurrected the tweet he had taken down with a screenshot and demanded to know what the Post was going to do about this unacceptable evil that must not be allowed to stand. Sarcastically writing, fantastic to work at a news outlet where tweets like this are allowed. Yes, can you imagine a world that allows jokes you don't like? (laughs) Of Of course, the leadership at the Post folded like a Miami condo, and... and suspended Weigel without pay for a month and denounced the offending retweet as a gross violation of their values, free speech apparently not being one of them. Then a third Post reporter offered up the idea, of course on Twitter, because why do anything privately, (laughs) that, hey, maybe everyone was overreacting and we should all just calm down. And then it was really on. Felicia demanded that the Post discipline him and tweeted about that. I assume she's tweeting about this right now. (laughs) For days, she raged with the fire of a thousand burning bras. 
sending a gazillion tweets calling for more to be done against Weigel, mocking her bosses, attacking colleagues, and letting the world know how much the Washington Post sucked. And this endless bickering and infighting continued online in public view until the bell rang and they all went to seventh period. Now, note that I haven't yet told you what age Felicia Sanmez and her quarreling co-workers are. Why? Because I didn't have to. <laughs> because you can't imagine someone my age acting like this in an office. The New York Times just ran an op-ed entitled, Why Are We Still Governed by Baby Boomers? This is why. <laughs> because too many millennials... are overly sensitive, overly fragile, and have no sense of priorities. You know, I'm sure many boomers would love to retire, but they can't. They're like the grandmother who'd much rather be watching Judge Judy, but has to raise her grandkids because her own kids are too fucked up to manage it. <laughs> it's funny, you think my generation is an eye roll? Let me let out a little secret about the younger generations. No one wants to hire you. <laughs> Your sense of entitlement is legendary and, with notable exceptions, your attention span and worth ethic suck. <laughs> Here's a story you never stop hearing around Hollywood. Unqualified little shit who has been here all of six months doesn't understand why he's not a producer yet. <laughs> This Washington Post story had such resonance because it's behavior we all recognized. There is a war going on within the millennial generation. I know, because I'm friends with the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but the crybabies, unfortunately, are still winning. They complain they haven't taken over yet. Well, stop complaining, because in many ways you already have. The fact that the Post's initial response was to punish not Felicia, but one of their best reporters for a silly joke shows that the kindergarten is already in charge. Today, today, June 17th, is the 50th anniversary of a very seminal event in American history. On this day in 1972, the Watergate break-in happened. And over the next two years, the Washington Post gave the world a masterclass in investigative journalism. I have to wonder how the Post's newsroom of today would handle that story. Or how they're currently handling any story. All this time, blubber tweeting over a retweet begs the question, don't you have anything better to do? <laughs> Aren't you uh, supposed to be reporters digging up stuff? Are there no more vital issues going on in America right now? This is why you're not in charge. Because if someone named Deep Throat called the paper today and wanted to meet in a parking garage, this crew of emotional hemophiliacs would have an anxiety attack and report it to HR that they didn't feel safe.
if there is a silver lining to this story, it's that eventually the post did fire Felicia Sanmez. So maybe there is a line that's just too much nonsense. But that generation needs to move that line much closer to sanity and find it much sooner. Because democracy dies in dumbness. The fact that he's talking about Twitter drama on his show, whereas before I felt he would have been too boomerish to be even, pl- even plugged into this crap. And he's watching this crazy Twitter drama with Dave Weagle and Felicia Sonmez and then playing it for his boomer and Gen X mostly audience. And then they're like laughing at her getting fired and whatever. And it's like, okay, even liberals are kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, these people are fragile. We're sick of them. And, and like, he didn't sound that different. Not saying that Bill Maher is like the best, most left-wing guy. I mean, he's technically He's a, a barometer, hmm? I would say. He's like a good barometer. Yeah. I think he, of where like mainstream lib opinion is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I feel like a lot of millennials and uh, media elites online don't want to kind of admit that. Like even after this thing, they were all bashing Bill Maher and it's like, okay, yeah, you don't like him, but you got to read the tea leaves and, you know, uh, people are not liking uh, a lot of this stuff. And especially what I want to talk about today, this, this idea that a lot of people are just kind of sick of it culture academia media news journalism politicians are all intertwined and interlapping in a way like never before and i think everything's going to go down together and i think especially the fact that trump is out of office and biden won has really kind of let people put their guards down you know what i mean and i just want to know what you guys kind of think about that i mean i think the reason when this topic comes up, like we have this um, long-standing Telegram chat between the three of us and a, and a few others, uh, I jump on this topic a lot because, um, as like an Asian person right now, I think we're actually like Asian people are probably further along in that sort of like progressive backlash or backlash ag- against progressive politics, but in a more real sense, where if you look at what's going on in San Francisco. I don't know if you followed the elections, the recall election of like yeah, Chester, Chester, Budin. Chester Budin. Yeah. Like that was all financed by um, a lot of like Chinese American money. Um, and that was, uh, I think a perceived, like it wasn't just about hate crime prosecutions though. That was part, that was a big part of it. Um, his, his sort of like restorative justice, uh, some would call it soft on crime approach that became very unpopular in San Francisco. But like, there was also this whole thing about, um, what was going on in the schools where they wanted to get rid of selective high schools and, you know, the Lowell high school. And then they started wanting to, in the middle of like COVID, where, you know, people were like, yo, when are you going to open the schools? How are we going to, you know, these real material issues of like, how are we going to get our kids through this? They started, the, you know, the school board members started talking about renaming and decolonizing the names of the high schools. And I think people were just like, I don't, I don't know if they were necessarily upset that they were, um, uh, you know, besmirching the good name of George Washington or whatever. It was more like, why is this a priority? You know, right. so. yeah, because I think I think Krasner got reelected, right? In, in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. Yeah, in Philadelphia. Yeah. So it's it's. I, mean, I think the whole um, <clears throat> progressive DA thing is always a thorny issue, but definitely with San Francisco, it seemed like 
and the, and the reason of of this backlash against the, the the great awakening is what have you what has all this brought us us being kind of the people outside of your special little club nothing you it's, mean Asians no no or? just I mean a- anybody who is outside yeah of, people in general of, like in general whether okay. it's like black people relative to Black Lives Matter yeah. or um or things like that <clears throat> and you know it's been how long would you say this run has been of of like wokeness being very mainstream and powerful in my notes right i put uh i didn't create this term a lot of times i use like you know uh terms or whatever people give me credit you know but i actually don't coin a lot of them i just always any good term I always remember there was an article that used this term and i thought it was very good it was called uh the great awakening and uh i use that term in the note here the great awakening i would say was 2014 to 2020 i would say 2014 to 2016 was like kind of when it was building steam you know when black lives matter hit mike brown um trayvon martin everything but 2016 that hillary election i think was when it first hit mainstream like when hillary clinton was tweeting about intersectionality from her account you know that's that's when you knew like okay this is like it's hit the mainstream and i think it died in 2021 around the time that defund the police kind of died down, but not everyone got the memo. It's like, uh, you know those parts in Japan where the war ended? Yeah. But a lot of people didn't know because the message didn't get them. And like, for a year later, they were still stationed waiting for, <laughs> I think that's the stage right now. Like, I think it's actually done. Not everyone has got the memo yet. It's like uh, Juneteenth where the slaves didn't know they were freed yet or that part of Japan where they didn't know that it was, uh, the war was already over in Japan lost. I think what, there's there, still in denial. Was there like a battle in like the War of 1812, like the Battle of New Orleans or something where... The war was over. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's some random trivia. But yeah. So, okay, let's say they had a run of like six years. What tangible gains have we as a society gotten? Even like people, who, especially people who initially supported it. I think, at least I definitely uh, initially supported it. And I, I think something like just the, in the last few months, the number of articles slamming BLM for basically embezzling all those funds, which would have, I mean, like... Well, that uh, tells you right there who benefited. Yeah. Right, right. So, like, I mean, Trevor, you were talking about it, I think, pretty early on. But, you know, back then, you said that people would call you all sorts of names Oh, yeah, stuff. people were attacking me, including right. a lot of black people were attacking right. me about but it. But now... You've got even, um, who, who was that person who actually wrote it? I think for like the Daily Intelligence or something. Um, um, Sean Campbell, I think was his name. No, I, I, th- I should notice because we've had, is that my, for, for New York Magazine, right? Or something. I think it was actually a black woman who wrote it, uh, one of these pieces. And it's like, wow, she's writing this. Oh, wait. Oh, talking about a woman. Yeah. I forget her name. Whoever it was. But it, it was at the point where, oh, if, if you yeah. she's saying it, it must be uh, they got no supporters left. Oh, yeah. A lot of blue checks are. And only like the worst of the worst uh, are still... <laughs> Hanging, hanging on uh, with the with the uh, sinking ship, and if you see them on Twitter, the few blue checks who are still like, "Oh, it's not fair." What about Sean King and this that? Like they're getting <laughs> destroyed on Twitter by like regular black people, right. like you know. Before I used to only see right wing um, blue lives matter crank types getting in these people's mentions, but now you'll see like white right wing cranks alongside um, black people, and they're not. Uh, agreeing with each other in the same thing like like the white right-wing cranks will be like you know you guys are racial terrorists and whatever and all lives matter and the black people won't necessarily be agreeing with them but they're more concerned with 
attacking Black Lives Matter for their own reasons than fighting with the other white people in the replies. I feel like it used to be different. Uh, you'd more likely see, even if a white of a black person wasn't 100% on board with Black Lives Matter, they would prefer to argue with the white person before attacking Black Lives Matter. And now people are just like ignoring them. They're like, you know, we know where you're coming from, but fuck you. We don't have anything to do with you. We're mad at these people for our own reasons. And the reply thread is just that. People just mad at Black Lives Matter. And that's one of the things I was thinking, like, if at the very least, if not everybody starts joining actively, like, anti-wokeness, they're at least not going to play interference when um, these right-wing types come for whether it's Me Too, whether it's BLM, whatever. People are just kind of sick of these people, even on, like, liberal and the left and they're like you're on your own i think the 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 overall uh story that's developing now uh is i think the i think an accurate one and they're finally coming around in the mainstream to understanding this which is that a lot of the new woke um culture is like sort of uh not representative of the bulk of the racial groups that they're that they that they purport to represent so i think the big one of the big stories that I noticed was um, the polling around the term Latinx and Latin that yeah. in even like mainstream, really mainstream media, like NPR was reporting that. Wait, wait, real hmm. quick. I think in Spanish it's pronounced uh, Latine. Okay. Yeah. It's not really clear. So like, Latin sounds like Latrine. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, Latine. Yeah. Okay. But, um, but the point being that, you know, they did some polling around it, I think by Pew which is, you know, pretty reputable. And they came out like pretty mainstream, reputable liberal, you know. And so Pew came out and they were like, two thirds of Hispanics don't even know the term, either term. And like 3% actually use it. And, and I saw this thread on Twitter where this guy was, uh, and look at his bio and it was all like the stereotypes. It was like, uh, and I'm not making fun of this. I'm just saying that, it fit the stereotype the anti-woke people have, uh, you know, so don't feel attacked that I'm bringing this up, but uh, he had the pronouns in the bio. He had the uh, um, different like gender things like pansexual, this and that, and then decolonize. And, and, he, and he had this thing like uh, attacking other Hispanic people for not um, using Latinx and saying that uh, these are the type of Hispanic people that are hateful. I'm like, holy crap, this is like, uh, blue check black or wanna or, or wanna blue oh, yeah. check. Oh yeah, they yeah they yeah that that I mean uh, they who was it was it Frankie or someone who like had pushed this idea that in it, you know what's funny is in Chinese there is actually no gendered pronouns, um, but when you write the pronoun out for like say you, uh, it can be written out in a gendered way, even though they're pronounced the same, and so one of the Asian blue checks had said that well it's time that. This is a, this is a Chinese American, by the way. That's like, basically all like two billion people that use Chinese characters should switch over to this new character that they invented. And people got really upset about that because it was like this is sort of saying that Chinese culture is like inherently misogynistic unless you do what this one person says. Mm. And I think that was very similar to I think what the uh, objection to. Uh, Latine or Latinx is, is is like okay. It's not harmful the 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 idea of like a non gendered pronoun, but there is embedded in it a strong inference that 
Latin culture or Chinese culture or whatever is inherently misogynistic. Um, that, that does sound like something that Frankie Huang would do. Oh, yeah, t- oh, yeah totally. Teen, when, when you said before that they no longer think these woke opinions are the majority of the groups they represent, uh, I don't know if they ever thought that, but I think what's definitely shifting is maybe no longer is this even aspirational. Like Before, I think even if they believed it was the minority, they would have thought, well, it's worth it to kind of like whip these people into shape and make them follow these ways. Uh, but now, like, you know, take something like Latinx, people are already thinking like, what's the, what's the good it'll do? Like, in, in the end, all it'll do is, is make whoever is leading the, the, the charge uh, with these like word games. Because this, this is what they do, because they don't, all these foundations or groups, they get money, they, they, they don't want to do with it. So they, they got to, it's like industry jargon. Every few years, you got to switch it up just to prove that you're doing something and then to flex your power or whatever. And I think that's, it's being recognized for that's what it is. You, you, is it actually not, Helping anyone. There's nothing not, not only is it not helping anyone, but I think that they're starting to come around to understanding that there's um like a condescension yeah. within that term that like a white person wouldn't necessarily want to weigh into that because it's not really their thing. It's not it's not affecting them. But they're starting like white liberals, I think, are starting to see like with the Latinx thing, are starting to see like, oh, if I use that term, I might actually piss off Hispanic voters because that sounds like I'm telling them that their culture is deficient. Wait, wait, so, wait. Do you think the white liberals are that cognizant? Because strangely, what I see is white liberals yelling. I swear I've seen this. I've seen white liberals on Twitter yelling at Latino people for not expect, not accepting Latin next. Yeah, I haven't been following the race that race too closely, but you guys know what happened in Texas, right, with Myra Flores? Uh, no, but I was gonna bring I was gonna bring up her uh tweet. It's so great that you said that because she put a tweet um because she's, she's a Latina running sister in the room. I'll just put the... It's funny you said that I had her tweet up. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. But she put up this tweet that gained a lot of traction from, oh, shit. from, from Latinos. Uh, I'm going to read the tweet to the people at home. But uh, I actually had this tweet up right before Chris brought her up. But, um, Myra Flores for Congress had this tweet that says, Latina, um, greater sign, like... Um, Superior to or better than it. Yeah, yeah, superior to or better than Latinx. And the replies are just full of Hispanic people just cheering her on. And it's like, yeah, you've just kind of politically activated over this dumb term so many Hispanic people that might now vote right wing. Maybe a lot of people were already right wing, but I bet a lot of them were either apathetic uh, to politics or liberal over something this stupid you just gift wrapped and delivered a whole bunch of them to this um, Myra Flores lady. Like she's made this like an issue over so many. Um, and I, th- I think she, I think she won, right? Yeah, she won. Yeah. It was, uh, and it was a big upset. That's I, I don't know too many details about it, but I, I, I know that Texas Democrats, I think, are now pissed off at the the National Democratic Party, saying like you kind of caused this, like. Exactly, something like that tweet, and and that's that's the the thing that I was pissing off more. What the hell was the point of that whole debate? Like, yeah. Even if you won that, what would have been the prize? Who would have gotten the rewards? It would have been some uh, ambitious academic who would have gotten the uh, tenure tra- tenureship that he or she was seeking. Some um, MFA would have gotten their novel published. Some HBO Max show would have gotten approved. That's what was at stake, and and it's yeah, that that's that's why people are pissed off at this shit. Is it the people who? 
use that term i mean to use an example from like how it is on the black scene is like they want to be appointed by uh white liberals as like um the minority whisperers and i feel like the people who say latinx you know they want to be kind of um the representatives for latinos and latinas in academia in media whatever and it's um not only is that not going to happen i think they're gonna really fuck shit up for and for people who all these people i think whether in the democrats upset whether in the um latin community the black community asian community whatever all these minority people at the end of the day from what i've seen the end game always seems to be ending up being part of the democratic party and promising you can deliver votes to the democrats i don't know why but that's all these people ever seem to want to do as so-called liberal activists or left-wing activists is they eventually get co-opted into a democratic machine but i mean all they're going to do is to me just kind of show that they're not only useless to the people of color that they claim to represent because they have no grassroots support. But okay, one example, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren filled her campaign full of social justice influencers, uh, every single one you could think of. And she lost to Joe Biden among black people uh, in South Carolina, like a huge amount. Like she could not win um, anything. These people have no actual grassroots support among um, minorities. That's why I'm kind of wondering if these people refuse to adapt where are they going to end up? Because I think not only they're going to, not only are they not going to deliver people to you the Democrats or the adv- mm-hmm. advisors to her, like the sort of oh no, they were straight yeah. up advisors. They all had the green background. They were paid. They were yeah. in her campaign. But they, your question is about what's going to happen to the advisor types or to the Warren types? Uh, the, all of them. All okay, of them. Uh, okay. Like, like first off, see, they couldn't deliver black people. Uh, the the national um, Democrat Party on. Um, Latino outreach could not deliver Latinos to the Texas race. You know, like, um, I mean, I think the advice, I mean, Warren is going to just continue with her career, but I think the advisors are just going to move on to the winner. And I think Joe Biden pretty much played the same game. But I don't think Joe Biden is fucking with them like that. Joe Biden didn't really meet with Black Lives Matter. He, did, he, he, mm-hmm. he didn't really mess with that system at all. Like, who does he have? He has Kareem's. St. Pierre, uh, mm-hmm. what's the name? St. Pierre? Is that, I should know Is that this. the new press secretary? Yeah, the new, the new press secretary. I mean, he has the old school, um, Ivy educated blue checks. He, he's not dealing with the septum ring crowd or whatever. Like, I think the people kind of realizing these people, they don't really deliver anything to us. Like, okay, to use the Myra Flores example, these people activate, not only did they not deliver Latinos, to the Democratic race, to the Democratic Party in Texas, they actually activated and sent a whole bunch of them to the right and and made every, all those people hate them. So they burned bridges with the <laughs> grassroots Latinos. The actual people they were pretending they were going to help now hate them. They're like, um, like, I knew a guy who was working for Warren in Texas, right? Now, for him, it was just a thing to put on his resume. He wanted to do, he was a local activist and... Uh, he knew a lot of people in the area um, down south where um, he was. I believe he was in he was in Texas. Uh, he was a fan of the show, so he was like telling me stuff about what it was like down there. And one thing he said to me was, "Yeah, I'm on the local um, campaign for Warren, and I had to keep telling the white people here, don't listen to the national office because <laughs> there are a bunch of blue checks and um, these type of uh, new woke." activist types and they were sending down people like Jamila Lemieux they were sending down uh people like the guy uh, the barbershop guy 
the barbershop guy, you've totally predicted what I was going to say. Frederick, uh, whatever his name is, the guy who had the fake barbershop and he had the um, the Black Panther, uh, save the kids by sending them to Black Panther campaign and all this dumb stuff. And she was telling them, like, they would have to take out of their budget to pay these people to do events in Texas that were not bringing people. So Jamil Lemieux goes to a, a black school in Texas to preach about Warren and like six people come at a black university. Like nobody um, cares. And he's like, I told you not to send her down here. Black people don't, don't fuck with any of these people. They don't know these people, but the national campaign was more concerned with making sure their friends could wet their beak. than actually what was helping uh, Elizabeth Warren. So what happened to her in South Carolina? I'm like, I totally get it. Cause um, they did what you're doing the Sopranos. You know, Sopranos that they have like the, the bust out, uh, a mob bust out is like what Tony Soprano did to Robert Patrick, the Terminator 2 in the goods. Like, you know, he um, gets all his friends in there. They basically pick apart the thing like vultures. Kind of like what those corporate raiders do. Like, you know, they, they buy a company, then they just... Uh, strip the assets. Strip the assets yeah. and sell it. That's kind of what these woke people do as advisors. They come in, they take all the money they can as speaking fees, as uh, awareness building, as... Uh, Consulting fees. Black Lives Matter did this with their um, various consultancies that, that they all had. Then they don't deliver anything to the people who hired them, really. They piss off. Not only do they not deliver the constituency they promised, they actually activate the constituency against them. So now the constituency both hates the consultants and the uh, people who hired the consultants and everything. And they don't seem to see the, see the writing on the wall. They just want to keep doubling down on... Um, this strategy, as an outsider, I feel like I'm seeing it with Stop Asian Hate. Like all these Asian blue checks still want to just keep talking about this dumb woke jargon. And I see like in the replies, like I see regular Asian people like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like our elders are getting beat up. Like, why are you talking about decolonizing shit? You know, and- I, I think the prevailing attitude now is like these people ruin everything. You look at um, like activism, look how it happened with uh, Black Lives Matter and then, yeah, I stopped Asian hate. I mean, the, the scale was so much smaller, but remember that whole stupid, like, very Asian hashtag that popped up yeah. a few couple months ago? It's oh, obviously, yeah. just, a, just a scam from the start, just desperately trying to revive um, that, you know, momentarily sweet gig, I guess, suppose they had. Politics, ruining all this. And I think- Can you, when, when can you com- spin very Asian hashtag? I think your audience would know it instantly by hearing it, but- you Oh, know. yeah, sure. Yep. So there was this Asian-American female reporter, I forget which city, I think it might have been Dallas, where it was Chinese New Year, and then she was describing like how she spent it, and then this one uh, racist white woman called in and said, like, oh, that made me com- uncomfortable because that, that thing, she was being very Asian. And then um, there was like- you know, a quarter of a day's story worth of that. And it's like, yeah, that, I think that was appropriate to, ha- you know, be a momentary headline. Yeah, this person was being stupid and people clowned on her, move on. But then it, 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 the, the person, the reporter tried to make this into a whole foundation and, uh, and then a, a slew of articles came out, you know, trying to ride off of this thing and be like, in the end, uh, I, I, the thing that started was just some rude voicemail. It, it wasn't anything that important, but... Um, but I think that's exactly why those things become <laughs> amplified. It's because there's nothing at stake. Exactly. And then, okay, and then we get the culture. At the very least, these people have decimated activism from the inside, ruined politics for the people they're purported to be helping. 
the very least, give us something cool and funny to watch. But they've ruined that as well. And I think people are just like, get the fuck out of here. Like we've we've given you enough shots. There's no there's nothing good you've done. You've destroyed everything. But yeah. But to T's question, I think like I, I think, yeah, maybe like the this current crop of new woke blue checks are gonna see and you know the music stop for them uh and their sort of political advising careers or whatever but i think there's going to be a second wave where they kind of like adjust their messaging and abandon stuff like uh you know um uh non-gendered uh you know racial pronouns or whatever or or, you know non-english pronouns and latinx and all this stuff they'll know to abandon that but they'll still have to deliver because i think they're being used they're using people but they're also being used you mean and, by like right wingers? No, I think they're being used by uh, mainstream by by Democrats um, to as a sort of uh, cheap dogs. Well, yeah, no, I think like they're they're being used almost like um, uh, like the the bullfighters flag, you know, to to sort of misdirect. Um, well, 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 that's kind of what sheep is like. Like mm. like the sheep dog uh, moves the sheep in a direction that the the sheep dog is trained to move the sheep in a direction that. The shepherd, you know, the sh- wants yeah. them to. No, I think what the the reason I say with the bullfighter because I think there was a misdirection where the the bull is very angry, <laughs> and, you know. Uh-huh. But you 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 got to give them a target, but the target is a flag. There's no the you they're not gonna it's not you're not gonna hurt anything, and but you want to encourage the thing to 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 attack, and they're gonna find a new way to do it. But ultimately, the service that this class. Um, of people provides the mainstream liberals is to misdirect uh, from their own failings. I don't even think it's about their failings. I think it's about that there are le- that that if you look at uh, some of these movements like BLM, like when they first started, uh, they were very uh, you know they were there was a lot of righteous anger behind it and a lot of um, power behind it. And the service that mainstream liberals needed was not to suppress or quell that anger because they know that that just makes it worse. I think they're getting smarter, um, but to misdirect it and say like, okay, well, the answer then is like, um, you know, better representation and and all this stuff. And now I think like you're saying, okay, that's working out. That's not working anymore. Is there going to be a backlash? And there'll, there'll be a backlash if they can't figure out how to misdirect again. But I, I, I'm pretty pessimistic here. I think they're going to figure out new ways. So, so for example, like this Latina greater than Latinx thing, it's like, okay, you're making a, you're, it's a backlash against this Latinx thing, but you're still making it about an issue that's really not important at the end of the yeah. day, right? So you're still talking about language and discourse and not about material uh, uh, realities. And, and I think what you just said there is very important because... What people will tell you is if you tell them it's not important, they'll say, oh, no. So you're saying that gender issues or sexuality aren't important. And it's like, that's not what we're saying. It's that this is not actually solving any real gender issues. It's a language issue. I think the way you put it is perfect. Like, it's a language issue standing in for a gender issue. But none of it's actually bringing any extra rights to queer or... um or non-binary or LGBT Latino people in either in America or abroad to litigate this linguistically is just is just a language battle. You know what I mean? I think it's actually even worse than that because uh, and this is my experience. Just you know, because like as Asians, like we see this happening, but in a very sort of weakened form format for us. 
So when they want to challenge, you know, the use of uh, Asian pronouns or whatever, like nobody gives a shit. Uh, but I, we can still see the intent of it. And it's actually worse because what they're really trying to say is that if you're like a working class immigrant Asian with like traditional notions of not even traditional notions of gender, but traditional, you, you just talk in a normal traditional way. You're not wokeified in terms of how you talk. What they're saying is that you're basically not fit to to influence politics or to express yourself. And they're doing, they're, it's not just over language. It's also to say your form of language automatically disqualifies you uh, from having any opinions about anything because you're not, you're, you're misogynistic. You're, you know, everything you say, the second you said Latina or whatever means that you don't give a shit about, you know, women or transgender rights or whatever. So sh- sit down and shut the fuck up. No, totally. Uh, you know, something, um, they yeah, I me mean, thinking about with, with language. I um, read this book on cults and um, it all the signs of a cult. I can't remember who wrote the name, who wrote it. I think it was either someone called Margaret Singer or someone, someone else. It's it's like there's three people who wrote the seminal books on um, cults. Uh, Stephen Hassan, Margaret. Singer, not Sanger. Sanger is the one who... Um, it's a Planned Parenthood Planned lady, Parenthood. Right? Uh, Singer. And then there's a um, third, third person. Get his name, but he wrote like probably the, the earliest thing that all the other ones uh, draw, draw from. But um, one of the things that he talks about that cults do is um, they use language and jargon to kind of uh, cast a spell and to signal in-group versus... Um, Outgroup. Somebody named Amanda Montel. I'm just trying to get her on the show. She took that one aspect of she took that one aspect of his book and spun it out into a book of its own. And it's called um, Look at these uh, cultish: the language of fanaticism. And she talks about she makes the persuasive case. She expands on that one part of this guy's uh, classic book and says that language, far more than esoteric brainwashing techniques help cults to build a shake of un- build a sense of unshakable um, community. And then, you know, this is from, from the book uh, with emotionally charged buzzwords and euphemisms, renamings, chants, mantras, and even hashtags, pernicious gurus are able to instill ideology established in us and a them justify questionable behavior, inspire fear, gaslight followers into following their own and questioning their own reality, essentially everything a cult needs to do in order to gain power. So um, this idea, and then her book is expanding on this idea that people have this very fancy idea of like the brainwashing techniques a cult does, but she's saying that the most powerful thing is to create their own in-group language. And when you think about it, you start seeing it in everything. Like if you ever like saw like the old pickup community, they had a million little terms and acronyms for everything to the point that if you read like, you know, something a pickup pickup artist wrote, it would just seem like its own language. And the red pill stuff uh, and the 4chan stuff has all its own language. But the thing with her book, from what I've seen, at least the articles covering it, they always use this stuff to talk about religious cults. They always use it to talk about misogynists like red pillars and pickup artists and incels. Incels have a whole vocabulary of language. They use it to talk about Trump, like a lot of people, uh, their coverage of this book is to say, oh, uh, Trump used language. And I'm like, staring them right in the face is 
all this crazy um, social justice language, but for some reason they can never turn read the lens on themselves and the, the see most, the way they're falling into it. I think the most outrageous example of that is folks. You know, I see this online a lot where yeah. it's and, the, and the, I don't. I've never seen an answer to question why was that necessary? Because at least with something like remember <laughs> this is some pretty old like feminist stuff. Remember when they used to spell women with a Y? W O M Y N. Oh yeah, yeah. That sure, that might have been a little silly, but I could see at least the underlying logic. Hey, let's get the men out of women, uh, you know, because it 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 looks like I don't know, women are our type of men or whatever. I could at least understand the basis of that, but with folks, I mean, like I, I've never seen anyone explain why that was even necessary, and it's just it's just another it's an instance of you just jump however high we tell you to, and once you buy into that, you've already sh- shown submission. And if you don't, then they can ostracize you. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, it's kind of a compliance test. Like, you know, if I can get you to comply to this small thing, then I can get you to comply into um, bigger things. That's one thing that cults do all the time. Like, if you acquiesce on this small thing, I can escalate um, the ass. But I noticed it myself. I catch myself saying things, even though I make fun of these people. I catch myself saying things. Like, for example, I was talking to somebody, right? There's things like voices, bodies, Spaces, oh, spaces. I cannot, yeah, stop saying that. Um, yeah, but it is useful. But yeah, yeah, so. it, it is useful. But a lot of times you don't need. Let's like, have a voices, right? I was talking to someone. I said, yeah, you know, uh, trauma is another one. Yeah, trauma, trauma is another one. But at least trauma is like it's a word being used correctly. But the concept, it, it does still fall under the idea of language. But at least trauma is the best way to describe trauma, whereas voices. To me, that's the best way to describe what is always being used to describe. What I mean, like for, in the example that I'm talking about, I was saying, yeah, uh, I was talking to somebody about a trend in entertainment. And I'm like, yeah, they're using a lot of these um, black lesbian voices. And I thought about it. Why did I say that? Why didn't you say they're using black lesbians <laughs> to say this? Why did I have to call a person a voice? Like what I'm talking about is a person, not actually a voice. Like At least with trauma, you're right. That falls into an idea of... Um, getting people to start using the same language to describe stuff all the time. But a voice or a body being used to describe what used to just be a person is kind of weird. And I find myself, even as a so-called critic of a lot of these trends, unconsciously adapting a lot of the language because it's around me all the time now. You know what's a word I, I like cannot use personally anymore without cringing at myself? Is a stories. I cannot say that anymore because all I... Oh, Yeah. All I can think of that's now, too bad because that's a good word. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what am I? Then I use something like narratives, but I think that's gonna fall into the same thing. All I can think of is some like theater kid turned activist who's always like, "We need to hear this person's story. What about my story? Story, story, story." And just like, I can't be a part of this. See, I think I think there is a bit of a hysterical nature to the people, uh, to this class of um, uh, blue check or whatever. And we've been talking about their function as. Uh, supposedly to deliver, let's say, a black vote or a Latin vote or an Asian vote. Uh, but I, I actually don't think that that's what their uh, me- their method is. I think what they're doing is actually like a protection racket where they're kind of saying like, if you don't employ me, if you don't, you know, uh, hire us, if you don't uh, put us in your, you know, on your staff or whatever, then it's not that I'm not, I'm, that I'm going to deliver or not deliver votes to you is that I'm going to go and basically defame you. Uh, or if you hire me, I can defame your opponent. But it's more of a negative thing that they do. It's not so much like a positive, I'm going to attract a lot of grassroots people to you. And I think that the people who uh, fuck with them, like the, you know, the 
say a mainstream liberal white uh, candidate that hires these people or a, you know, or a, or a newspaper or whatever, it's actually to avoid being attacked. No, I, I think, I think uh, yeah, no, I think you're right about that because a lot of these blue check types, they're, I often see this with like stupid Asian American cultural appropriation, uh, uh, historical fits, but you know, they'll always be like, oh, like all of Asian Twitter is finally united to come against um, this, I don't know, some designated villain of the day. And yeah, when, whoever started that, it can be someone like uh, like a Jen Feng or someone that a lot of people don't like. But at that point, nobody cares. So right, they do exactly. have the power. Like we can't yeah. we can't deliver anything positive, but we can inflict negative damage. On damage, on you. Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, that's if you look at the Somnes thing and and the mo of her, it kind of fits, right? Because I think that's why she went on that like week long tirade. Was she ultimately when pushed? Uh, when pushed, she kind of had to go with like the their game plan, which was to say, I'm just going to defame you. I'm going to yeah. attack the shit out of you. I'm going to ruin the Washington Post's reputation. And the thing that happened in that case that I think was exceptional was the Washington Post basically didn't cave. They caved at first by like giving Weigel, Weigel is it, there's any? I've heard of Weigel. So they gave Weigel like a one month suspension without pay, which is kind of a thing, but not huge, right? Yeah. They didn't fire him, but they fired Somnes. And I feel like that was almost like, you know, um, you know, like a local butcher shop or whatever telling, uh, you know, Paulie, like, I'm not going to pay your fucking protection money. You know? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. But that's kind of what this whole topic is about uh, today, because that's why I think it's going to be part of like the end of the Great Awakening or the reactionary turn. The idea that I think only two years ago, they would have caved. In fact, they have caved to her in the past on various things. The fact that uh, she and other people like her have not been, you know, fired before for things that, you know, back in the days you would have gotten fired for. Um, and Netflix was the other big one with yeah, Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. Netflix finally started firing people that like they had trans activists who were storming their me executive meetings and crashing. Did they get fired? I think uh, so. No, at first they were just getting suspensions hmm. and they would come back and just go back to defaming Netflix online. Yeah. And lately they, they started firing those people and that person acted shocked on Twitter and betrayed that Netflix. Like they thought they were tweeting stuff like Netflix said we were a family. What happened? And they, they really thought they could just do that forever. And and I think um, that's kind of what we want to talk about today. The idea that a lot of people are kind of realizing, you know what? What do you really have to lose by getting rid of you? And what you said I think is true, but I also about we can't deliver you grassroots votes or bodies, but we can defame you. And I think they actually did both strategies. And some people believe both strategies. If you were a big enough mark and dumb enough, like Elizabeth Warren, you would actually believe that these people could deliver you bodies and votes. Like that was the best case scenario, Mark. But at the very least, I do believe some people thought, okay, I don't think you guys are actually going to be able to deliver me anything, but at the very least, protection money and I won't look like um, a racist or a sexist or a homophobe but I think people started realizing wait a minute you guys don't have the power to do either you guys actually not only can't deliver grassroots like like okay look at um Joe Biden those people when they were supporting Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and you know offering themselves as racial consultants they were arming these people full of these talking points against Joe Biden that I think were surprisingly actually pretty good. Like the crime bill, the this, the that, you know, the, um, Strong racist, Thurman uh, connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Jim Crow stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when it came time and, and they were arming, um, Warren and 
Kamala, Harry, yeah. Kamala with intersectional speak and talking points and Elizabeth Warren was saying stuff and giving uh, commercials like I see you, I hear you, more of the cult jargon, you know. Um, I'm 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 listening to your stories, you know, and and uh, you are heard and all this stuff. And then when South Carolina came, all the black people voted for um, Biden, and these are all the people. And then afterward, when Biden was clearly going to win, all these people made a group video. I think it was over at Washington Post where it was. Amanda Seals, uh, the black lady from The View, uh, Alicia Garza, all these people, Brittany Packnett, all these people were like, first off, he was the last guy that they didn't help. And he got all this way without them, including got the black people. But they were promising, hey, Joe Biden, you need us. Uh, (laughs) It was a big thing. And uh, they were like, you need to hire, get a black VP candidate, um, whatever. And they said, if you don't... um, and they're really explicit about it. If you don't uh, get a black VP candidate and get us to help you, uh, you know, the crime bill is going to do this. The crime bill, you know, all this stuff's going to happen. And Joe Biden eventually did get a black woman VP, but I don't think he got it because of them. What happened was he put his foot in his mouth with the Charlemagne thing where he said, you know, you ain't black if you don't vote <laughs> for whatever. And he got a lot of grief about that. And then he was actually talking to Amy Klobuchar. And they were like negotiating and that kind of fell through after. And I think really they were doing what I always say uh, these people do when uh, they used to be these kind of uh, shaman, like these, you know, villages and witch doctors. And they would stand in front of the water and the tides and they would wave their hands while the ocean was coming and act like they were bringing in the ocean. But they were just standing in front of what the water was already going to do and acting like they were the ones doing it. I think that's what those women did at that time. He was, for his own independent reasons, moving toward a black woman. And then when they did this, it looked like they were actually directing the tides. But he didn't hire any of them, didn't do um, any of that stuff. And he did fine. He got the black vote. He did okay. He never had to meet with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter kept begging him and begging him. When they finally got to meet, um, Alicia Garza was sent to meet with some of their lower staff. Um, Biden stuff? Yeah, mm-hmm. not with Biden um, himself. And they were given the cell number to a guy in staff. That was a transcript of the meeting. Uh, I read it and they were sent home. That, that was it. And then she tweeted it as a victory or whatever. It was, it was, all, it was, all, it was all like a big joke. But yeah, I think people kind of realized more and more, um, it just took somebody to actually call their bluff and still win, you know, to start realizing, wait a minute, these people can't really do what they say. They not only can't deliver the grassroots, they actually can't really cancel anybody. They can't cancel Chappelle. Chappelle's doing fine and selling out. They can't, um, Chappelle called a bluff. They couldn't kill his career. They can't really kill it. Whose career have they killed? Am I missing anybody? Well, that's, but see, the, the, that's the thing. They often proudly say that and, and as evidence of how evil and powerful their enemies are that, and then that cancel culture doesn't exist. Yet at the same time, um, that's just undercutting their own power. You're uh, right. Which, okay, so you are, Either like, yeah, you like what are you powerful or not? It, it's they can't decide. Um, they say whatever they have to say to win an argument and score a point in the moment, and they don't care if it all coheres into a message that actually helps their case. So I think that's what's happening right there. They still want to win this argument in this moment when Chappelle says it's being canceled. They just want to say the opposite. They don't realize what, just like you said, they're undercutting their own, um, their own point. Yeah, 
And I, I know a lot of people say, you know, Indian people are, are more tribal and they, they don't care about, you know, say hypocrisy because, you know, people aren't these, uh, don't have these like clean slates for minds that are independent yours. But I do think people don't like bullshit when they see it. Uh, even if it was cu- coming from people they support or general causes they support, if they just see enough of this uh, just lying or opportunism, I, th- I think people do, enough people can, will get fed up to the point where we might be seeing, I don't, I don't know if it's a reactionary turn. I mean, in the, in the notes, uh, we, you said that it's not quite that they find the right wing appealing because I, I think the right wing has just become so repulsive that, you know, like, un- unless you are somehow born into that, um, it, it, I, don't, I just don't see a lot of former liberals or progressives but, or leftists going there, but they can just kind of refuse to participate. But, but here's the thing. If, <laughs> if that's the case, then this is all just sort of uh, in-house problems, right? Because... Uh, like you said, Biden ended up doing fine without hiring any of these people. Because why? Because ultimately, you know, when they get out of the Democratic primary and then they're facing off against, um, you know, the right wing Republican, they take the black vote for granted, right? They're not, they're, they're not really concerned about a grassroots appeal. They're just like, well, it's more like who the fuck else are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for Trump, right? Like, but, but, but also I'll add this. These people, they can't follow through on their own threat anyway, because if they do, okay, like, okay, at this point, right? Um, for example, Amanda Seals and various other people, they started co-opting stuff that was said by, you know, the new black media, which is a lot of people on black YouTube and black, on, on black radical podcasts were saying, we're going to withhold our vote. You know, that's the main bargaining power we have. And suddenly, like, I think Amanda Seals kind of saw like, wait, these people are getting some traction. Let me, let me co-opt that talking point. So you should start talking about it. But, when push came to shove, her and other people started saying, threatening, we'll just tell black people to stay home. And I was kind of shocked to see Alicia Garza and these blue checks and Amanda Seals kind of threatening that. But when Biden didn't take the bait and it was moving forward, what were the choices at that, at that point? Okay, um, Trump is going to win, right? Um, and they're going to be shut out for another four years of any cushy jobs. Like this kind of resistance media shit is okay, but the real uh, powerful stuff is having your guy in power where you can actually like, you know, work with the White House and get even the, the better gigs, you know what I mean? And the real access. So one of two things will happen. Trump will win. And then not only will you not get access to power, but the resistance type people are not going to hire you because they're going to be like you. We're telling black people not to vote and they hold long grudges. They're still mad at Susan Sarandon for something she had nothing to do with. Like, like uh, they still get mad at Brianna Joy Graver saying she voted for Bill, for Jill Stein. Like, she really had any difference in the outcome of the election in a blue state by voting for Jill Stein. Like, she really hurt Hillary by that. You know, like, like um, they're going to burn the bridges with um, the white liberals and the resistance stuff, and that can get that cheap, that easy resistance grift money. Trump's never going to hire them. The black people are not going to fuck with them because they don't have any grassroots support among you know, the black masses. So they're going to be asked out. So when the time came, they all just jumped on board and and um, basically grifted, and not grifted, they basically shilled for Biden anyway. All the people who, all the blue checks like Amanda Seals, all these people, Amanda Seals comes out and says, I know I said this, but this election is too damn important. We can't yeah. stand, <laughs> stand it out. So it's like, they don't have the integrity to 
or you know the um willingness to sacrifice to actually ever follow through so so like you're absolutely right like um they take the black vote for granted but on top of that they know even if we don't do anything you're gonna shill for us anyway so they all shilled for um these for biden anyway despite bashing biden um professor crunk you know was a was a kamala harris basher because she was in um warren's camp um all the black lives matter people were we know would bash biden but they shilled for him when the time came because they're like this is the only way for us to go and then when he won they said hey biden look how look how hard we, we fought for you give us um some gigs yeah so are we so are we more cons- like talking about what's going to happen to this group of people or what's going to happen to uh what's going to happen to like non non-white constituents or or like what what is it about what they're going to do or is it about what non-white constituents or there's is there going to be a right wing ish or a turn rightwards among uh non-white voters because I think one thing that really shocked um a lot of Dems was that uh Hispanic voters are like way more uh right wing than they thought they not- they thought Trump was yeah. basically going to drive every single Hispanic vote to the Democratic Party from now until forever. And it's actually been sort of the opposite, which has shocked a lot of Dems, right? So, I mean, a complicated thing with the Latinos is that uh, they thought of Hispanics the way they think about, you know, uh, Black people and Asian people. And it's not even right with Black people and Asian people, but it's especially not right with Latinos. Like, like uh, you guys say this a lot, but um, Asian American is like a construct, as in... You know, uh, in Asia, there's not really an Asian identity because, you know, you're either Korean, you're Japanese, you're Chinese, and those areas have conflicts or specific relationships, you know, with each other and whatever. But in America, you just kind of become Asian. So there's a little bit more of a solidarity. I think uh, with black people, it's probably something similar, like even that's unraveling. But, you know, this idea about blackness as some kind of um, political construct in America, but... In the diaspora, like, you know, Haitians and Jamaicans can have their conflicts. Um, you know, different countries in the Caribbean have problems with, you know, black Americans and problems with Africans. And, you know, like America kind of creates this um, fake construct, I think, with a lot of uh, races. But it's even worse, I think, with Hispanics as far as not being true, because at least black people are technically a race and Asian people are technically like, you know, um, to be called the, it seemed like a race, but Hispanics are not a race. Like there's yeah. white Latino all a, the way to black Latino. What do they call it? It's, it, the, the, it's a ethnicity, ethnicity right? Yeah, yeah. I would say, I think it's an ethnicity. I think it's, yeah. that's, that's a good way to put Wait, it. Well, what's an ethnicity? Hispanic. Uh, it's Hispanic. Like it, even, even the, uh, even the, 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 this U.S. census or whatever, you know, they treat Hispanic as an ethnicity, not a race. So you can have white Hispanic, non-white Hispanic. No, I, I think yeah. it's even, no, I think it's a lingual group. That's what no, no, no. Is. I mean, for the Census Bureau, they call it oh. ethnicity. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Then you, that's why you can check white or yeah, non-white. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, and, but, but even that's changed because I remember when they didn't subdivide it like that, but they're getting hip to it now. Is and I remember it was just like uh, Hispanic was suddenly put down and like black now you have to put it if you're like black, but you know, black Hispanic or not Hispanic. Yeah, they do that with Asians too. They actually yeah. ask you if you're Asian Hispanic on a lot of these oh, things. Oh, I didn't know they had that I'm now. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're getting more, more nuanced yeah. about it. And I think liberals had this. So yeah, like, I don't think that playbook is even accurate with uh, black and Asians anymore, but it was especially never accurate with uh, his Hispanics. Even within their own country, they have white and black conflicts, you know, like where like um, the, the white, the white, the white 
Dominicans or, you know, have problems with the black Dominicans and all, all this stuff. So they were really um, blindsided by that. But, but uh, let's say even assume they were a unified, uh, like, ethnic slash racial group. But then you put in charge of your party a type of Latinos who clearly have contempt for the majority of their own group. So what are you getting out of this? Like, yeah, it's not good if Trump says mean things about you, but that's not what, that's not 100% of their priority. And then it's kind of balanced out by the Democrats appointing these, you know, pro-Latinx people who basically say their own people are, are backward savages. Again, I think it, I think it goes to the idea because, like, if two thirds of people, like Hispanic people in America, don't know the term Latinx, that means like I don't think these people are trying very hard to even connect with Hispanic voters at large. Again, I think they're playing very like inside baseball. But what they will do is stir up headlines uh, to paint someone as um, you know very like anti Latino racist, uh, and then that's how that that's how they'll affect messaging to the masses, so to speak, is not so much what I'm saying positively about, you know, my theories on race or wokeness or whatever, but more like I will drag your ass through the headlines if you don't give me what I want personally. So two thirds of the people don't even know this stuff, right? But if I, if they suddenly decide to say like, you know, such and such candidate is a very anti-Latino, anti-immigrant or whatever, that's going to get out because that's going to get published in the newspapers. One thing I'll say from the outside looking in, and I would love if any Hispanic, Latino, um, Latinx, if you're identifies that in the listenership, whatever, could tell me what your thoughts about this are. Uh, you guys can let me know what you think. But to me, from the outside looking in, I feel like rank and file Latinos hate their blue checks even more than Asian and black people hate our blue checks. And like they have even less penetration and less respect, um, both among the white gatekeepers and their constituency than a lot of other races. Like um, black blue checks, as awful and impotent as they are, I mean, they've made like a lot of ground. Uh, they've, um, they, they can sway some policy They're you know, they're in like a lot of cabinets there, um, in presidential candidate cabinets and stuff like that. But I feel like, I don't know, I think the Latino ones are just totally, the, the Latinx crowd are totally symbolic to a large degree. Like they're very much in academia. They're very much in like, you know, corporate marketing and, and, and whatever, but the real nuts and bolts at the end of the day if I am a presidential candidate who wants to get the Latino vote, if I am a company that wants to sell to Latinos, I want the Telemundo crowd. Yes, I, yeah. I, I want right. the people who are going to deliver me everything from the Hispanic executives to the fruit pickers. I want to sell. And I think those people don't really have people as fooled as, say, the black blue. I, I feel like a lot of black blue checks are better at fooling people into thinking they actually have some kind of, even though I think they're losing that power themselves. But yeah, I think it's going to be extra frustrating to be um, a Latino blue check because they just do not. But, but because I, I'll give you an example. Asian and black blue checks can be put on platforms and just be allowed to say whatever crazy shit they want to say about gender war stuff. They'll be like, you know, black men are just, you know, domestic terrorists who just... Uh, wake up to rape and you know they in the black community looks like mad max fury road they're just driving and 
Cadillacs just, uh, you know, raping. And, and, and you'll get on, like, you know, NPR just saying crazy stuff. And I feel like uh, the Asian-American blue checks have been doing that even longer, you know? They go back to the 60s and 70s talking about Asian-American patriarchy. I don't really see anybody really willing to platform uh, anybody in the Latinx, uh, whatever, blue check community to just badmouth, like, say, Latino men or whatever. I just think they kind of know... Um, Latinos aren't going to go for that. We're going to get... like I, I feel yeah, like I, they have a better cohesiveness to them than a lot of other uh, well, minority they, communities. I mean, I think part of it is because they're a linguistic group, like Chris said, and yeah. like Telemundo, Univision, like they have their own media world and uh, they're going to... Plat- like platforming, they platform their own. Yeah, good right? point, yeah. And I think actually when you say with Asians... Because, uh, because, you know, not just they have an alternative market. That's, that's what yeah. it is. Whereas... Black people and Asian people, like, we don't have that. Like, B, what, what, what black people have? BET? It's owned by Viacom. Yeah, well, with Asians, uh, it's a little bit different. Like, I think we're kind of hybrid, like, in a way, because a lot of Asians just don't pay attention to this mm-hmm. stuff. And, like, a lot of first generation, there is a lot of Chinese media that's even less known than Spanish media. Um, there are Chinese television stations and newspapers and stuff in the city that, like, have a lot more penetration than people realize. But um, I think, yeah, I think the, I think Asians at large, if you really take, if you really look at Asian people in America is, we're not as plugged into mainstream politics as, as the Democrats hope for, which is all they ever want to do is plug us in. They want to get us plugged in, activated and like start reading their shit and their media and whatever and start, start caring about issues as they frame them. And Asian blue checks, I just think there's a lot of them because there's a lot of Asian people who want to like, there's just a lot of like Asian uh, blue check type personalities out there, but they don't speak like no Asian person in Chinatown or in Flushing or whatever has any idea who these people even are. Mm. Really? Like nobody knows who these people are. And like a lot of time, cause like Chris and I and our friends, like we talk about them a lot and then we'll, we'll hear from other Asian people who are like, why do you guys talk about these people? I don't even know who the fuck these people are. It's so, a fair al- point. Speaking you know? of alternative markets, yeah. often in like Asian online spaces, especially when it comes to like media representation, what's always the um, kind of the alternative to, you know, crappy Asian, uh, like American representation. This is especially among Asian guys. It's always go watch Asian stuff. Problem with Asians is that unlike say Univision, who's that, who's that guy? Like Jorge something. Um, Ramos? Or, Ramos, yeah. yeah. He, he gets to like actually moderate uh, a democratic yeah. debate. Oh act. yeah, you're right. Sure, it may be symbolic and whatever, but problem with the Asian market, it's huge, but it's it has no power in America. Until recently, there's like now there's crossover. So that's always been... Um, but, Asian thing. but I guess my point is, does it matter? Like, is, is it to me in a way like the, the it's almost like um, Asians are sort of like deaf, dumb and blind to mainstream political discourse because we're just not paying attention. And Democrat, like we've assumed for a long time that that's just a bad thing. That means we don't have any direction or leadership or we can't leverage our will. But I think in a way, like if you look at how Asians organized in California, um, Maybe that's actually good. Like ignorance might be bliss when it comes to just like not being entangled with all this, with all the democratic messaging. Yeah, well, that, that's why like the Asian blue checks and 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 wanna checks uh, are so petrified of like the WeChat crowd. You know, get totally yeah, just WeChat. It's circ- totally impenetrable. Their necessity and shows how weak they are. All right, y'all. So 
that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good